You're listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, Episode 110. Welcome to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast, where we explore public health epidemiology careers and share tips and strategies to help you enter or transition into the field. And now your host, Dr. Charlotte Hughes-Huntley. Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining me on this episode. I'm really excited to bring to you my guest today. I had a wonderful time interviewing Ms. Dialda Robertson. It was like talking to an old friend. We have so much in common, and our stories overlap in so many ways uh, in terms of our background. It was just, I really enjoyed this interview, and I'm really excited to connect that interview. But let me tell you a little bit about her. Dialda Robertson is a public health account manager for Orashore Technologies, and she is responsible for eight states in her territory. She'll talk more about Orashore during the interview. She previously worked for the Louisiana Office of Public Health Infectious Disease Epidemiology Section as an epidemiologist specialist and the Louisiana Adult Viral Hepatitis Prevention Coordinator. Ms. Robertson has 28 years of experience in public health, which includes 13 years in viral hepatitis prevention and coordination, five years in women's health and prevention, five years in bioterrorism, emergency preparedness and response, and several years as a laboratory scientist. She has served as a subject matter expert community stakeholder liaison and epidemiologist specialist for the viral hepatitis program within the Office of Public Health and the Infectious Disease Epidemiology section. She provided the technical expertise necessary for the management, coordination, and integration of activities directed toward the prevention of viral hepatitis infections. Her expertise include the integration of HCV clinics within federally qualified health centers, as well as HIV-AIDS clinical-based organizations. Ms. Robertson also worked to identify HCV resources, developed and implemented HCV training programs, provided technical assistance to providers, and supported stakeholder engagement. She has served as a member um, and vice chair of the New Orleans Regional AIDS Planning Council and was a member of the Louisiana Community Planning Group. She secured one of eight competitive grants from the Association of State and Territorial Health Officers to develop an HCV epidemiologic profile for Louisiana. She has served as an expert uh, hepatitis trainer and consultant with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice to provide train-the-trainer programs for peer inmates and currently works with the re-entry staff and inmates at New Orleans Parish Prison to provide HCV training. She has served on several steering committees for the CDC, planning committees, and been a national speaker at several HIV-AIDS, viral hepatitis, and correctional conferences. Ms. Robertson also served on the White House Drug Policy Work Group to understand and reduce opioid mortality. She served on the Louisiana State Epidemiology Work Group tasked with bringing data on substance use, misuse, and related behavioral problems to the forefront of prevention planning process. And she serves as co-chair of the Louisiana Hepatitis Coalition. Prior to her position, 
at the HVHPC. She served as coroner surveillance epidemiologist for the Louisiana Bioterrorism Program, where she developed, implemented, and maintained Louisiana's syndromic surveillance system for unexplained illnesses and deaths. Her subject areas of expertise include HCV, as you probably well know from listening to all of this, including HCV AIDS co-infected populations, bioterrorism preparedness, and women's health. Dialda Hose holds a chemistry degree with minors in biology and mathematics from Southern University in New Orleans and received her Master's of Public Health from Walden University in Minneapolis. I am very excited and very honored to connect that interview with you guys. Before I connect that interview, I want to mention that this episode is brought to you by Optimizing LinkedIn for Professional Networking in Public Health. This program is a step-by-step beginner's guide to setting up and optimizing your profile, getting found by the right recruiters, professionals, finding clients and business connections, and growing your network on LinkedIn. You can find it by visiting drchhuntley.com forward slash resources, or just click on the resources tab from the main menu, and then you'll find the direct link to optimizing LinkedIn for professional networking in public health. Ms. Robertson talks about the importance of networking in this interview. She emphasizes that several times. So if you need help with that, then optimizing LinkedIn for professional networking and public health is there to help you. All right, let's connect that interview so that you can meet Ms. Robertson. Well, today I'm really excited to introduce you all to my special guest. It's Dialda Robertson. So Dialda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Huntley. I am excited about being on the podcast, and I am so thankful that you invited me to do one. Oh, man. I'm, I can't wait to jump into this because I've read the notes, and um, your background is very similar to mine, and I just have so many questions. And I'm, uh, I know the audience, they hear me say this all the time. I'm so excited about this guest on the show, but I genuinely am excited <laughs> when I get to interview a, a new guest and talk about your journey into public health. So let's jump right in with you just taking a moment and um, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, what you've done before, a little bit about your background and what you're doing now. Okay. So my background is public health, as you know. I have 28 years um, of public health experience. So I started off in the lab. My first job out of college was in a former pharmacology lab, and we were developing HIV drugs. And I loved working in the lab. My undergrad degree is chemistry, and I was bit by the science bug in high school by my chemistry teacher. Fell in love with chemistry, and I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I pursued um, an undergrad degree in chemistry and ended up getting a, a job in the pharmacology lab. And I really loved working in the lab. But... After a while in pharmacology lab, I only worked part-time, so it wasn't enough to really make ends meet, so I ended up taking another laboratory job at the Louisiana Office of Public Health, and it was the biochemistry lab, so it was biology and chemistry, two of my loves, and I was so excited about this job. So in this job, I did sickle cell testing, PKUs. T4s, all of the testing for babies, 
We also did TSHs, and then HIV had just hit the scene. So we started doing Chem21s and um, other chemistry tests, and I ended up loving that. So we did a rotation in the lab, and after I rotated to each section in the lab, I sort of got bored. And I thought, man, I have worked so hard for this chemistry degree that I think I want to do something else. So right after two years of working in the lab, the epidemiology positions came to the Louisiana State Office of Public Health. And when I looked at the background for the job, you needed to have a science degree, which I had, and two years of experience within public health, which I had. But the other thing that attracted me to Epi was I got to use my lab skills, my math skills, my biology skills, and my chemistry skills. And I'm like, okay, this job is definitely for me. So I moved into an epi training position, and I ended up working in chronic diseases. So I was sparsed out to several programs within chronic disease as their epi. So I did tobacco, tobacco cessation. I did women's health a little bit, and then I ended up being a BRIFUS coordinator. And BRIFUS is the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System or survey that CDC administers, and it is a telephone survey, and of course, you must have a telephone, so that excludes people who are homeless and people who don't have telephones. So it gives you a good scope of, you know, from, um, answers for the questions that each particular state asks. So I stayed there for a while, and the Women's Preventive Health Program ended up breaking off into its own program. So I became the data manager, the epi, the trainer, and I wore, I think, five other hats in that program. So that program was the best kept secret in Louisiana. So we targeted women who were um, out of childbearing age and they were not going to the hospital. So we were testing them for breast and cervical cancer. They also got mammograms and pap smears for free also. If we found any other disease states, we treated that. And then all cancers were treated for free and your medications were free. That program was where I really, really fell in love with Epi because I got to work with women who saw no hope once they found out they had cancer. And we brought hope to them and we were able to help them and link them to care And I sort of fell in love with working with people who could not access or didn't know how to access, you know, manage through the healthcare system. They didn't know they had a voice. They didn't realize how to utilize that voice or they didn't know what to do with that voice. So that was where I really fell in love with Epi. So after five years, that program ended up being given away to given back to CDC because we just didn't have the capacity within the state health department to keep that program running. And I was thrust into infectious disease. So again, I got to be on the cusp of another cutting edge incident. Bioterrorism had just hit the scene when I was moved to infectious disease. And I got a position as a coroner surveillance epidemiologist. And that position entailed me developing a syndromic surveillance system for EMSs, hospitals, and clinics. And the syndromic surveillance system is a system that 
alerts you about signs and symptoms about a particular disease state that you may not recognize as signs or alert you that something is really wrong. But when you see these signs or symptoms in a cluster, you know that you need to move into action and it could possibly be a bioterrorism event. So I, again, fell back in love with Effie and did that for a while. And while I was in infectious disease, I got the opportunity to become the viral hepatitis prevention coordinator, which brought me back to the days of women's health. Again, I'm working with a marginalized population. The people that I work with, they don't know how to use their voices. They don't know how to navigate this healthcare system that we use, and they don't know where to go. So I was, you know, in that position, I would find resources, link people to care, talk to people, help them with their lab results, and almost like a navigator in a sense, but on a bigger scale. And within infectious disease, I did outbreaks, which I absolutely loved. I got to work on Zika, I got to work on Ebola, and I got to work um, with hospital-acquired infections, which I also liked. So as you can tell, I have loved every job in public health that I've had, and now I am a public health account manager for Orishore Technologies Incorporated. And Orishore is um, a company in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, that manufactures and sells medical testing devices. I work within public health where my passion is and I sell rapid HIV, rapid hepatitis C, and rapid flu testing devices within the public health um, realm and to clinical-based organizations, aid service organizations, and to federally um, qualified health clinics. But I also get the opportunity to utilize my expertise in program development, implementation, and anything around hepatitis C with my um, my customers. So that's where I am now. I have had a fantastic run in public health. I still am in public health where my passion lies. And I think with this job that I have now, I get to really focus on the intersections of social justice and public health, which I would love to do more of. That is fantastic. That's great. Uh, I'm sitting here with like a million questions running through my mind, but I'm going to break it down a little bit. The one thing, (laughs) the first thing I want to ask you about is um, when you mentioned the program, the uh, breast cancer treatment program that was, you said that was like the best kept secret and you guys ended up having to kind of turn that back over to CDC because of lack of capacity to, you know, maintain, did that ever return? Did they ever, you know, replace that with anything similar? Do you know? We didn't in the state health department, but another state agency, LSU, Louisiana state university acquired the program and they are still, you know, doing the program um, till this day. Oh, that's good. That's good to know because that, was so valuable and um and and uh I was really glad to know that that found, I guess found a good home uh, and that program could be uh you know continue and then I also wanted to mention when you talk about you know back with um, your work with the bioterrorism you know sort of when that whole I guess movement to create programs and processes and all of that I remember 
um, that time frame. And you were in Louisiana. And at the time, I actually was in Mississippi. And the very, oh, wow. the very first um, meeting that I think I even saved the notes because we're talking, oof, gosh, I don't even put the date on it. It's a long time ago. <laughs> But I just remember sitting in the back of the room being really overwhelmed because I was actually a student. Okay. You know, I was learning and it's like almost a little foreshadowing at that point because I really did not think about public health. I was in clinical microbiology mindset. That's what I was training. I was actually doing clinical training at that time. So we were learning from just the aspect of the testing um, and, and identifying certain select agents. Um, and then years later, when I really, really start to move into public health, that's when I remembered, first remembered that training and I, I found the manual and I saved it for a long time. Now I've got to go back and see if I still have it because it's probably like an antique collection. It'd probably be really funny to read some of those materials now thinking of, you know, what our, our state level thoughts were about, you know, bioterrorism programs compared to where we are now. But, um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then also just your, you know, you talk about the rapid testing now, of course, in my, my time working on the bench in microbiology, you know, with, with a lot of rapid tests, well, for me, it was, you know, rapid strep testing or the, you know, the, the flu test kits and, um, you know, several that were, you know, specific to microbiology. So right now, the rapid testing devices and, and kits the that you're selling and represent are, are all related to hepatitis. Is that right? I sell one hepatitis device, I sell an HIV device, and I sell a flu device that detects influenza A and B on the same strip. And the good thing about that test, it's just a nasal test. Um, test. It's not nasal pharyngeal. Because every time you do a flu test, people are going to gag because they're trying to get down their throat. Well, this one just tickles the inside of your nose and you get two results on one test strip. Hmm. There was always the debate about um, the accuracy, the reliability of these rapid test kits. I know that they were, um, when I worked in the state public health laboratory and I was in virology and we actually had to grow out and, and speciate the, you know, grow the, the virus. And, and Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, you know, we, um, the techs there always complained and really hated those rapid, you know, test kits. But, you know, I would always refer back to my days in hospital laboratory, those were important, quick tests so that we can make quick decisions instead of waiting for something to grow out and for several days after reaching the virology lab. So um, I'm assuming they're much more, uh, even better in terms of reliability than they were even, you know, back in those days I'm referring to about 10 years ago. Oh, the the technology has improved so much. And Orishore, we have every year we make a new iteration on the test. Um, our HCV test, hepatitis C testing device, is 98.9% accurate because you're using blood. Um, our HCV test can be utilized with blood or um, saliva collection, and that is like 97.8% accurate. So the days when we were first introduced to rapid testing, it has actually come a long way. And the funny thing about that is Orishore was the very first company to develop a rapid HCV test that collected saliva. And we are still in the game and we are still running strong. And now we are the only company that has an FDA approved hepatitis C rapid test. 
Wow, that's amazing. Uh, that's exciting. I can just, I can just relate to your whole journey. I think it's great when you are able to, you know, move from public health um, into another sector because you bring such value to the company. Like you're in commercial industry now, but your background in public health is making all the difference in your ability to be so effective where you are now. I mean, would you agree? And you know what? You're right. My marketing manager and I actually had this conversation yesterday because we have one team that wants to hire all salespeople. And the public health team, everyone, all eight of us on my team, all of us have run public health programs. We've been in public health. And I think collectively we have about 150 years of public health experience on my team which makes a world of difference because we've been on the other side when sales reps have come in and said, okay, we have this fantastic device or this fantastic product that we want you to use. Now we're on the other side. So for me, it has come full circle and made a world of difference because I was in the hepatitis coordinator when we were using ribavirin and interferon. And now we have a one pill treatment that either is from eight weeks to 12 weeks, and now we have a rapid test. And when I was in the game earlier, I kept thinking, you know, when are we ever going to have better treatment and better test? And it took about 13 or 14 years for me to get from point A to point B. So it's a good feeling, and it does make a difference because you can talk the talk that your customers are talking, and you have been in their shoes. So when I talk to a client or a new customer, I always leave with my public health experience because if I come out as a salesperson like they see me, I don't get anywhere. I'm always in my public health hat. I love that. Oh, that's good. That's good. That is, uh, you are in a class all by yourself, man. I, this is, <laughs> I tell you all the time, I think it's, you know, the more I interview people and I hear about these diverse backgrounds and how you have transitioned and you've, you've, you, you never skip a beat. So I think that it's, I think it's great for people to understand that the diverse backgrounds can really become your strength. That, that really is like your superpower because I know for a fact, there are so many times that I remember trying to transition from healthcare to public health as if I need to separate that off. And then I realized that it is the combination of the two that make the biggest impact and what I do now. Exactly. So exactly. All of those past experiences are kind of like in a ball and you have different iterations of yourself and this whole ball together At one meeting, I may be an iteration of a public health advisor around HTV. The next iteration of myself, I may be talking about, you know, hospital-acquired infections and how that relates to something else in my job. But all of that stuff, you know, just like you said, it makes you who you are. And I think, you know, I've heard from other people that I have this really unique background Um, initially I never thought it was such, you know, I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but now when I look back and I look at where I am and how my journey through public health and the lab and all of those positions have helped me to get where I am, they've actually made me who I, the person that I am today. And I am grateful for all of the experience that I had in public health and all of the fantastic 
people that I had, you know, that I've worked with. I had one state epidemiologist, Dr. Raul Rattar, in the state public health office that was a hoot, and he was brilliant. And I learned so much from Dr. Rattar. You know, I'm grateful to him every day. And if he hears this podcast, he will fall out laughing. (laughs) 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 Oh, man, this is great. This is such a treat for me. I'm glad that you're here and the audience gets the benefit. But this is a personal treat for me to be able to have this conversation. This is really making my day. Uh, (laughs) I want to ask you, because you have, um, you know, you have such a rich background and um and you've and multi-passionate but what population or condition or you know public health issue are you most passionate about now so like i said before my passion right now is where the intersection of public health and social justice meet so for me that is finding resources and helping people who are marginalized, populations that people have almost forgotten about or populations that don't get a lot of attention because of who they are or what they do. And one good example of that is the hepatitis population. So when I took the hepatitis C position, we didn't have a, we didn't have any resources for that position. CDC paid my salary, and I was grateful for that. But they didn't give us any additional monies for for testing. We didn't have well. We had ribavirin and interferon um, treatment. We didn't have tr- uh, money for treatment. We didn't have money for programming, for advertising, for edu- for anything. So what I started doing is just beating the pavement and offering myself as an educator. Anybody who would listen, any program that was directly or indirectly related to hepatitis C, if it wasn't directly related, I found some kind of link to pull them in and offer education. Everybody wants free education. And at the time, a few years later, CDC mandated that hepatitis be integrated into existing programs such as TB, HIV, STD, and immunization. So that was a perfect opportunity for me to actually go around and train. And in that training and in my journey, I found out because HCV, most people, but not all, acquire this disease through injection drug use, this is a population that people don't want to put resources in, but it's still a population that, you know, requires us to look at them because now we have this huge opioid epidemic epidemic that started off, you know, as initially just, it wasn't even a problem. And now HCV and opioids go hand in hand. So now that this population has been noticed, we're getting all of these funds, all of these resources, all of these additional dollars to actually do something about it. And I'm glad that I was on the beginning end of that, and I am where I am now to see the progress we've made. So for other disease states that are similar or have you know populations that or marginalized is where my passion lies. So whether that be 
HIV patients who are not adhering to their medications, HIV patients who may not have access to care or resources. So the disease states span, but the commonalities in all of those are the people who are affected. And again, it's the people who don't know how to use their voices. They don't realize they have a voice and they just don't know how to make their voices heard to get, you know, the outcome that they want. Now that is powerful. That I wish I, I may have to do like a, a, a couple of social media quotes on you, but, you know, what you just said is what I wholeheartedly agree with. And I've been trying to, um, I teach that in my coaching programs. When you can articulate and you identify what you are passionate about, what causes you care about, the populations you want to serve, just like you said, the the actual conditions you choose to target can change. But the bottom line, the underlying um, driver is your passion for representing those people who um, are suffering some sort of social injustice or marginalized populations, as you say. Um, and if you think about it and what you've described to us in your background, in every role that you've had, that's what you've, that's who you've been serving. Exactly. And, and that's why I think my, my job has prepared me well for where I am and where I hope to be at this intersection, because there's so much work to be done. There's so much inequity. There's so much inequality in the world. And in healthcare, I always feel that in my public health hat, there's something that we can all do, even if it's as simple as just being an educator or just being a voice for someone or being a resource for someone or pointing them in the direction that they had no clue that direction even existed. Powerful. That is Thank powerful. You. I th- Oh gosh. I'm so glad you said that. All of that. That's very powerful because that is, I mean, even down, like I say this sometimes with students who are just starting to learn public health, even if when you take your first course and you get that understanding of public health, you have the ability to share that with someone, teach someone, like you said, point them in the right direction, enlighten them. And you you have the ability to start helping. You don't have to wait. You can start to take action in public health. There's something for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, Love that. Love it. Love it. (laughs) This is fun. Okay, so <laughs> on that note, I'm going to pivot just a little bit because I would love for you to just for a for a moment, I'm going to ask you for sharing some advice. And I have a lot of students, you know, current students of public health. They could be at the very beginning, you know, just starting the journey, just trying to understand fully what public health is, or they could be about to graduate and they are coming full circle and really trying to transition to the career, but what type of advice or tips do you have for, you know, current students of public health? So my first bit of advice would be to, one, try to figure out where your passion is. If you don't know what that passion is, usually your passion finds me because I didn't set out to be an epidemiologist or a public health person. I set out to be the next greatest scientist who was going to crack the code on HIV. So one, try to figure out what your passion is. The second thing is volunteer. I volunteer at several organizations 
that have the same mission that aligns with my passion. <clears throat> One of those is a free clinic in New Orleans. Another well-kept secret that is getting out, it's called Luke's House. We serve an underserved um, population in inner city New Orleans. And that we're like a huge triage hub is what I tell people. We can't really stabilize you for big diseases, but we can triage you and stabilize you to move you to your next point. And we also help you navigate the health system. And we are actual navigators because we will actually go to your appointment with you. Um, everybody in the clinic except me speaks um, Spanish, so we can serve um, people who are not indigenous to um, New Orleans. And then my other passion is around education and kids. So I work with first-line schools, and I help them, you know, with some of my background. All of the schools there have um, edible gardens, so they teach the kids from how to plant, how important plants are, how they interact with our lives. And kids at in fifth grade are cooking like, like top chefs. So they have a lot of um, programs throughout the year that people can volunteer at to help, um, help these schools. So there's an intersection of public health in that. So volunteering is my other um, bit of advice. And then if you can either volunteer in either a capstone or an internship within a public health agency in your state because you will get tons of information and you will get tons of, of, of experience that you normally would not get um, just trying to, to navigate the system. So when I've had students that capstone under me, they at least got two publications and maybe two poster presentations at national conferences. So if you can find someone that is passionate about public health like you are, or find, just start trying to figure out what your passion is, maybe work in an infectious disease section or maybe work in immunization and see where your passion is. And then my last bit of advice would be to network, network, network. Use every opportunity that you have to network. You can network in the grocery store. You can network at schools. You can network on the bus. You can network at conferences. You can always start a conversation with someone, and there's going to be some question or some comment that you can relate to public health, and then you start networking. You never know who you're going to meet. And then I'll give you a, a really good example of networking, how I um, utilize networking. So when I finished my MPH in 2016, I knew that I still wanted to be in public health. I really wanted to stay in the job that I had, but my manager couldn't justify giving me a raise at the time. So I went to a conference that I had gone to for the last seven or eight years. And I casually said to a colleague of mine and my Orishore reps manager that, oh, I think I'm ready to leave public health. And her ears went up like a dog. And she was like, you're kidding. I said, yeah, my son is going to college. 
I need a job that I love within public health, and I need something to keep me busy enough so I don't cry for this only child that I have. And she said, okay, um, send me your resume. I said, well, I have a CV. Is that okay? And she's like, sure. So people tell you that all the time. So that Friday, I went to the African-American Museum, that, and I had been trying to get tickets for almost a year since they opened. I got tickets, and, you know, it was just meant for me. And someone called me while I was in the museum, and I said, Okay, everybody who knows me knows where I am, and they know not to call. Well, it happened to be Overshore. They were trying to set up an interview for Monday, and I'm like, whenever you need me, I can be, I'm dropping everything. So that Monday, I went and I interviewed for five hours. They told me, yes, four different people, an hour, and almost like a a little bit more than an hour with each person. And they they raked me over the coals. And they said, um, we won't let you know before Christmas because it's a really busy time. Well, I pray and I use my faith in every big decision that I make. So I had changed my computer password to new job underscore 2016. So I wanted to get this job before the end of the year. So on December the 27th, 2015, they called and said that everyone on the panel voted for me, which had never happened in the history of Orishore hiring someone, and could I start immediately? So I was just like super excited. I got a big raise, and I didn't want to leave the Office of Public Health in a hole because I was writing two grants. So I worked for two weeks overlapping where I could finish those two grants. And they did get the two grants that I wrote. So networking played a huge part in my um, my new position along with my faith. And then, you know, just my background. So every opportunity that I have, I hand out business cards. I make sure that I either connect with them on LinkedIn, or I send them an email and thank them for meeting me and just make sure that we try to stay in touch. And you just never know. You may not even run into that person for two years. And then all of a sudden you run into them and they may be the head of a company that's looking for someone with your background. So I guess networking would be one, two, three, four, and five, along with those other um, bits of information that I I gave you for tips. Oh, man, that is, you speak in my language big time. Um, I'd love to hear somebody else talk about the importance of networking. And I love that story. That is so, oh, that's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, Now, I don't want to leave this other section of my audience out. Now, I do have a group that have, um, for people that have already completed their degree, and maybe they've been trying to get into the field of public health, and they're frustrated, you know, um, hitting the wall, facing challenges. Do you have any uh, any advice for them? I do. So I have a lot of people that I actually mentor and try to help them find jobs. So I have a friend who works for Merck, and she can find me a resource for anybody in Alaska with any set of criteria that I ask for. That's how good she is. So what I try to do and I try to, to um, you know, advise people on is try to find someone that that can mentor you, that can 
help you to network or help you to learn how to network. So when my friend and I, her name is Kaita, and when Kaita and I mentor people, we invite them to meetings that we have with other public health professionals or other people in pharmaceutical industries or even to conferences or even to our outside passions such as volunteering. So I would tell them to try to find someone like that that they can connect to, somebody that can help you navigate and network. Because I always try to bring somebody along with me. You know, somebody helped me at one point to get to where I am, and I always want to reach back and help as many people as I can to pull them to where they want to be. That's powerful. That's really, I think um, that's great that you find ways to physically connect with them on site. I think it's um, a great idea, like you said, uh, when you volunteer, you know, invite them to to meet you there. Um you know, that's, that's, that's perfect. That's wonderful. I love that. And people don't realize that when, you know, we've invited people to things that we love, like I've invited her to Luke's house and she's ended up funding Luke's house because her organization can give volunteer hours and dollars to that organization. She's invited me to um, edible schoolyard and first line schools. We've brought people there, and they've met other people that they had no clue that they were going to meet, and they networked and found out, oh, this person is looking for A, B, and C, and they found a job. So it doesn't have to be a network opportunity within your field. It can be any type of networking opportunity because network you can network anywhere. I mean, I talk to any and everybody. My husband and my son always laugh because I can get on the elevator and start a conversation. And they hit elbows and like, there she goes again. And I'm like, this is what I do for a living. I have to be able to talk to anybody at any time about anything. And then you just never know who you're going to meet. Yeah, absolutely right. I told a story about, um, I had attended a conference. It was actually a women's conference at my church. And I did not go there. I'm not used to people outside of, when I'm outside of a public health setting, I don't expect people to really be interested in epidemiology or even understand epidemiology. I've just, that's been the experience. So the expectation, I wasn't there. It was, a, it was actually a, it was a women's conference at my church, but it was more specifically women in business. So I knew I would have to talk about my business, but I didn't expect anybody to really grasp it. And long story short, it turned into an incredible opportunity where their little their faces lit up. There were video cameras on everything. They were recording everything I said. And people were coming up to me nonstop. And they've been following up with me. And it's just been incredible. But it just goes, to, like you said, you, you don't know. You never know um, what to expect. You have to be prepared to just have those conversations. And it just should be from a genuine place of just... Being, you know, wanting to get to know someone. Exactly. Exactly. I feel the same way. Yeah, this is great. Well, I am, oh man, I just appreciate everything that you shared, everything that you've talked about and just you taking the time to um, be on the podcast. This has been, um, this is one of my personal favorite interviews (laughs) without a doubt. (laughs) And I love all of them, but this man just to rise up there. Oh, so I really appreciate you being on the podcast and you've shared so, um, this, your connection information 
with me, your LinkedIn um, connection. So I will provide that in the show notes so that um, the audience can connect with you on LinkedIn and, and really start that. I really am trying to encourage everyone to use LinkedIn's platform more. So I think it's a great place for them to connect with you and start that conversation there, especially since you're such an you know advocate for networking. So this is a great opportunity for them to to test that out and reach out to you and, and start that conversation. So I will provide um, that information in the show notes for this episode. And I appreciate you for being here. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for thinking that I would be a good person for your um your podcast. I was so excited when I saw you reach out to me. I'm like, wow, she thinks that much of me for me to do a podcast. So <laughs> I have been on a high and I've been nervous about this podcast oh since you reached out to me. <laughs> oh, wow. That's amazing. Well, you know what? Interestingly, I actually... Um, the reason I know about you is because of our connection on LinkedIn. Okay. I read, I looked at your profile and I was like, I read through that. And I, when I really started trying to think about who I wanted on the, the, on the podcast, I was like, yes, I really need to talk to her. And, uh, so yeah, it was, it was from our, you know, that networking using that platform. So we're, we are examples of what we're, we're, we're preaching, right? Yes. And I don't mind if people reach out to me. I will be more than glad to respond or to talk to them or, you know, help them on their journey. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. I'd like to keep in touch. I'm excited to see just what you're going to do next. It's going to be great. Well, yes, we will keep in touch. Awesome. Take care. Thank you. I would like to thank Ms. Robertson for joining me on this episode to discuss her public health career journey and for sharing such amazing tips and advice for all of you. I really enjoy hearing her stories and learning more about her. She and I talked for quite a while after the interview ended, which was really nice. I'm really happy to have her in my professional network. Now, if you'd like to connect with her and just visit the show notes page for this episode, which is episode number 110, go to drchhuntley.com and click on podcasts from the main menu. Once you're there, navigate to episode 110. Remember that you can also click on the resources tab from the main menu and find out more about the optimizing LinkedIn for professional networking and public health program. It's perfect for you if you need help with making the most out of the LinkedIn platform. All right, everyone. Until next time, have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Public Health Epidemiology Careers Podcast at drchuntley.com.